I think I'm finally understanding what it means to be a fan of a football team. Yes, go on. Um, yesterday, mm-hmm. when the first goal went in against Leicester, and for the period of time before Mamiki scored, and it looked like something bad was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, the league. this this weekend is ruined. Yeah. And I think if we hadn't gone on to beat Bristol 5-2, I don't think I would have wanted to talk about football today. So I think I'm finally sort yeah. of getting it. You're finally having your moods dictated, your week, your, your sort of the trajectory of your weekends either enhanced or completely ruined by, by Willie Kirk. By Willie Kirk and yeah. his merry women, <laughs> as they're known colloquially in Leicester. By no one. So yeah, it's, it was just a bit of an eye opener for me yesterday when we watched that game, and literally I was yeah, emotions were running high. Yeah, both slightly hungover, mm-hmm. probably a bit extra emotional. Just. Yeah, welcome to my world. But imagine, as well as the WSL team, you've got a League One playoff slash automatic promotion challenger. So basically, I can't win. No matter what happens, one of them will let me down. Hence why I'm driving to Cambridge tomorrow to go and see a match, which I also drove to see two weeks ago, but got rained off after eight minutes. So there you go. It could be worse. It could be a lot worse. Do you want to do the intro then, seeing as you just shouted it over the, the banter section? Welcome to the Why Always She Women's Football Podcast Show on Spotify. That was rubbish. Okay. This is why I'm the host. Go on then. Welcome back to the Why Always She Podcast. I'm Charlie Parks and I'm here with Matt Clough. How are you, Matt? I was better when I used my intro. See, but that was... That's how that you was, do it. That was how it's, how Point it's done. Point taken. Point yeah. taken. Yeah. So we're... um. We're on episode six. Yep. We're on episode six. The big six. The big six. Which, you say the big six, sort of. I'm guessing you said that for a reason. Nope. I just oh. vied that, but I can see where you're trying to sort now of, transition us sort to. Because obviously, you know, for context, this weekend, um, the top four teams in the league played each other. So naturally, we're going to use this episode to talk about the other teams in the WSL. Non- we're not going to talk about that those four teams at all. I am going to talk about Manchester United for a specific reason in a bit, but that will become clear. Yeah, in this episode, well, for the next two episodes, because I think we're going to split it into two to to do to it justice, we're going to talk about the other eight, basically. So obviously, as as we alluded to, you know, in the Premier League, people often, quite often refer to the big six and then the other 14. There's a, there's a, a famous subreddit called the other 14 where you're allowed to talk about all of the teams in the Premier League except for the big six. And then there's a similar sort of situation in the in the WSL. There's a big four, although after this weekend, I think we might have to call it the big three. The big three pl- featuring Manchester United. Yeah, and then there's, there's the other eight. So I think we're going to call this mini-series the other eight. Yep. Um, but as I say, to do, it, to do it justice, I think we're going to split it into two episodes and do four um, in each episode just so we can talk about each each team in a bit more detail um although maybe we'll do a three-parter maybe we'll do four this <laughs> week three next week and then we'll just do an episode about Leicester yeah but the the rest of all the episodes we'll, we'll do episode six and seven dedicated to the other seven teams and then this will just forevermore become a Leicester City podcast anyway so I think this is going to be quite Matt heavy actually this section because I've sort of handed you the reins and let you go off and look up at your little stats <laughs> so I, i'm going to contribute very little to this other than probably just agreeing with you and making mm-hmm, mm-hmm, noises effectively i'm going to be the chuck d of this episode you're going to be the flavor flav you're wearing a big clock around your neck you're basically the hype I don't man that reference how do you do fellow kids um, I know Flavor Flav is, but who's Chuck D? Chuck D was the other one in Public Enemy. Oh, he was the one with all enemy. of the oh. all of the talent. Flavor Flav wore a clock and shouted like "Yeah" and "Woo" a lot. So I think that's the vibe we're going for. I'm going to be, you know, dropping some serious XG numbers on you, and you're going to be like, "Yo, yeah, yeah. precisely." Um, God. But yeah, and then we'll have. Uh, you know the usual features i know you've got a very this possibly the hottest take we've had yet which i'm looking forward to and... there's a fire burning anyway let's so yeah i think 
the way we're going to do it is to keep it i don't know if it's fair democratic democratic you know right we talked about do we split them by where they are on the table or whatever so but we've gone for alphabetical order just to be as boring as that really yeah um so obviously that means this week we're going to talk about aston villa brighton bristol city and everton so do you want to kick us off then matt do you want to talk about them in alphabetical order within that as well or yeah so start with start with villa we'll start with villa so go on sorry yeah so i think you know correct me if i'm wrong what we're going to talk about here is a little bit of stats you know reflect on where they are in the table how their season's going bit little tiny bit of you know recent history sort of thing maybe a bit of tactics key yeah. players yeah just just... introduce you to the I've generally just just looked through some of the stats and the underlying numbers for each team and kind of have plucked out stuff that I I thought was, you know, quite interesting to look at and then we can kind of go from there. So it's not intended to be a huge comprehensive overview of, you know, who is their star player, but, you know, what formation are they, you know, has been most successful, all that kind of thing. It's more just a, a little, I found a little, you know, stat, as you called it earlier, little stats. Maybe that's the name of the section, Little Stats. Matt's Little Stats. Matt's Little Stats. Um, and then, yeah, we we can just kind of go from there, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the idea, I think, being that, you know, we obviously consume a lot of media around women's football. We don't just make this podcast and yes. exist in a bubble where we think we're the only people that talk about women's football. And obviously the, t- the conversation is dominated by yeah. Chelsea, your Man City, your Arsenal, and to some extent your Manchester United. So not for much longer. Not for much longer. Um, so we just, yeah, we're just kind of yeah. giving the other eight a little bit of love and and just, I guess, introducing, trying to learn a bit more ourselves and introducing yeah. our hopefully growing audience to the teams outside of that big four. Yeah, Aston Villa. Aston Villa. So Kick us off, Matthew. As we've kind of said a few times on this on this podcast, we we kind of developed a love of the women's game over time kind of by via the lionesses really initially and then this this is really the first season where we've really followed the league um you know really really closely so i think we were both you know aware that going into the world cup rachel daly was coming off this kind of unbelievable season where she was the wsl top scorer and villa had um done really really well they they were kind of the the team that looked like they might be able to break into the into the big four basically um and then obviously as we follow that this season it's it started horrendously for villa and has has now picked up a little bit but they're still nowhere near kind of where they were last season so i've this was actually a, a some numbers I, I started looking into very early on way before we started the podcast because i was just curious as to why it had gone so badly wrong for villa really and you know this is not a a blast on Rachel Daly at all, as I'll get into. But basically, if you if you look at the the xG numbers, so the number of goals they they were expected to score last season versus this season, there's basically been there's been a, a tiny drop between their their per ninety numbers. So last year they were expected to score one point two seven goals per ninety, and this season so far it's been one point two three. So basically, no real difference. However what has actually come to pass is that last season they ended up scoring over two goals per 90 last season this season they're scoring 1.23 which is effectively bang on the money of what the xg numbers say um and as we know xg it's not perfect it's it's a model and players can overperform that model or underperform it but you generally expect players to regress to the mean and that brings us to Rachel Daly who this season is outperforming her xg i think she's she scored i think it's six goals off to off just under six xg i believe but last season she at she outperformed her xg by nine goals more than nine goals which is for a bit of context in almost unheard of particularly in a relatively short 22 game season for a bit of context there so sam kerr her best ever season, which I believe was at Chelsea, she overperformed by 8.3 goals. And that was obviously in a really, really dominant team, much more dominant than they were last season. And just just to pluck a name from the men's side, Erling Haaland, his best ever season, he outperformed his XG numbers by 7.6. 
So basically, Rachel Daly had a, a season for the ages where she they did generate a lot of chances and, and Villa are, are basically generating her the same amount of chances. But last season, it, there were points where almost everything she did went in. And this season, she is, again, it's not to say she's she's playing poorly, She's but she's, she's just basically been proved to be mortal. And that's been enough to really tip the balance away from Villa and result in what's been a, a very testing season, having come into the season with, I think, a lot of people suggesting they might be primed to break into the top four. And it's obviously not come to pass. However, obviously, we're coming off a weekend when they've They've just beaten Spurs away, which was a uh, you know, fantastic result. They've also beaten Leicester away um, since we had the, the winter break, which again, that was a, the, the two results that have really lifted them away from the relegation zone. They also drew with, with Bristol City. But it is interesting that Rachel Daly is, certainly for the, the last game, is serving a, a suspension at the moment. To be yeah, honest. and sorry to interrupt. I just want to jump in there because that was going to be something I was going to mention about Villa is that Obviously, that was a pretty big win for them at, yep. the, week, at the weekend, really, against Spurs, who were uh, sixth, and uh, Villa were eighth. They're just eighth below us now, now yeah. yeah. Well, they weren't. They were. Yeah, they were. They were. I think they were ninth. Yeah. Before the... So that was a big result for them, and I had fantasy team wise um, had backed them to absolutely capitulate. Yeah. Um, because they didn't have um, obviously, as you mentioned, Rachel Daly suspended. They didn't have Kenza Daly. They didn't have Ebony Salmon to sort of filled the, the shoes as a as a sort of a striker yeah um and yet they still managed to to beat to beat spurs yeah so and i, I you know and, and create two incredible incredible chances so i i think we might have we might have said yesterday when that game finished we were we'd moved on to the, <laughs> to the mighty leicester by then but i think we said like potentially were they working so hard to accommodate their star striker who wasn't in the same form that she was last season actually they've overlooked some other options areas outlets yeah for attacking play that they've been able to discover without her on the field yeah um which i think is an interesting one and i'm interested to see how they got on in the next couple of games without her again being uh, in the team absolutely yeah I, that's exactly what i've got written down as well you know i think um again it's not she, she's outperforming her numbers she's still a very very good wsl striker um but when we when we went to the leicester villa match earlier this year you were kind of struck by just how central she was to absolutely everything. You know, they were, you know, if a goal kick went long, it was her who was dropping deep to try and win it. She was running the channels. She was, you know, sprinting around to just get into the box. She was absolutely everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you do wonder if there was a bit of kind of the the rest of the Villa team kind of thing. Well, you know, she she is this goal machine. We just need to do whatever we can to get the ball to her. And without her, it, it's it's forced them to find sort of solutions to to problems in different ways. Effectively, I mean, you know, again, here's my obligatory. Sorry to always mention the men's game mention of this podcast, but the kind of similar situation potentially would be when Ronaldo's uh, second stint at Man United, where he he was scoring goals at a good rate and you know there's a lot of online people who just make their entire personality and lives about loving Cristiano Ronaldo and hating Lionel Messi for example <laughs> but there when Eric Ten Hag basically got rid of Ronaldo their sort of thing was well we scored this many goals he can't have been playing badly or he can't have been impacting the team when you know, it could have only been a positive impact he was having on the team when actually him being removed from the team, at least for a, you know a brief period, did improve Man United because suddenly they didn't have to fully accommodate him and play through him and, and all that kind of thing. And like I say, I don't think it's it's fair to lump Daly in with a sort of decrepit 77-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, Ronaldo who was sort of being just sort of wheeled into position at the start of matches and then standing in the box and waiting for the ball to hit him in the head which it did you know very regularly but equally I think it's yeah it'll be really interesting to see how they get on in the next couple of games without her because if they can keep finding ways to to score goals and to win then I think it, it casts a whole different light on on Villa going forward and whether do they do they stick with Rachel Daly do they potentially think, okay, she is a she's a great player, but she is just one of the eleven players we've got on the field here, so let's let's use her appropriately and let's not just try and effectively rely on her. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think 
you know, they've got some, look at someone like Adriana Leon and Kenza Dali. I think they're also very, very good players. Absolutely. And they're, and also Jordan Nobbs as well. Yep. Um, scored a great goal at the weekend. Great goal. Should have, by her own admission, scored another. Um, mm. But yeah, she's she's a player who I think she can really offer an awful lot. But, you know, she hasn't seen a, a, a huge amount of game time. But, you know, again, with, like you say, with the injuries and suspensions, she, she she had a real impact yesterday. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what how, how they approach the next few games with, with players out. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's definitely interesting because, you know, I think in our WhatsApp group with my cousin, will we ever go an episode of this podcast without mentioning my cousin, Big Shout up, out Danielle? Danielle. Um, I think we were constantly every week we're like, when is Carla Ward going <laughs> to get the sack? When is Carla Ward going to get the sack? And it just seems to have turned around a little bit now. Yep. So it's interesting. And, and I, they're starting to like, not worry me, but <laughs> am I worried? They're just sort of snapping at our heels a little bit. And I feel like we've been, we've had some, Leicester have had some dark moments, but I feel like we've been a little bit more consistent. Yes. And yeah. I just, I don't like that they're uh, they're coming for us now with these uh, crazy wins. I, th- I hope we can get a big scalp before the season's over. That would be really nice. And I think, again, we don't want to make this the Leicester show, mm-hmm. although we, kind, we, will. we kind of do. Yeah, like, we, I think Leicester, we've seen time and time again, there is that competitiveness against the big teams where... I think some of the other teams in WSL, naming no names, it's kind of been like the Alamo, just sort of zero enterprise, zero kind of plan other than just defend like as much as you humanly can for 90 minutes and see what happens. You know, I think I think Leicester are slightly more progressive than some of the, some of the other teams. And like I say, we hopefully pick up a scalp at some point. Anything else to add on no, Villa? Or- no, no. Just, just really curious to see where they, where they go in the next couple of games, and whether we, we end the season with them looking at slightly different complexion, having started it so poorly. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like us, Leicester and Villa, are sort of those two teams that I sort of see, particularly towards the end of the season, going into next season. You know, if, if Villa can continue this and sort it out, whatever problems they've had, and you know they did have some injuries and stuff like that. So I think we've talked about it before as well. Kirsty Hansen got banned for yeah. three matches at the very like in the in the first game. Yeah. So I think that certainly didn't help matters. So I, I'm just I think Leicester and Villa are, are two teams that I think going into next season we're going to start pushing pushing yeah. those top posi- like you know that's those top four teams. I hope so anyway. Yeah. I I, I mean that's it's interesting you say that. without going into any spoilers. I think we've got a couple of teams coming up in later in the episode where I I think though they might survive this season. I'm much less bullish on their kind of prospects going forward. Mm-hmm. Is one of those Brighton? Which brings us to Brighton. Yeah. So I'll can I tear this off with Please do. observation. So a big story for Brighton January yeah. was that they sacked their manager seemingly out of nowhere. It was a bit chaotic the way they did it. Yeah, very and, odd timing. But I sort of thought to myself, I didn't think Brighton were doing that bad. And then when I prepared for this episode and I looked at their form, mm. they're actually not that good. No. So I'm actually not that surprised that they've decided to make a change in management. I'm yep. surprised about how they approached it and that they've put this weird interim coach in who was the coach of the under... The, the men's, one of the men's youth teams, right? Yeah, one of the men's youth teams. Just kind of being parachuted in. And obviously, as as we know, like, it's the same sport, it's the same game, but it's also different. Like, women's and men's football, yeah. you have to approach it differently. And it also helps to have a, you know, again, I don't know a huge amount about Mikey Harris, who is this the coach who's taken over, but you know, it it helps to have a, you know, a manager who has who knows who the players are and that kind of thing. Again, I, I don't. Yeah. He he might be very well versed. I don't know, but like you say, he's coming from the men's side. It's not like they they hired in a a veteran kind of uh, women's team coach or anything like that. Without wanting to step on your toes too much, I think obviously with them losing yesterday as well, I think they're just above Bristol now, and I don't know how many points are in it. Six points clear, which and they do they play each other next. You could, which you know, is basically the crunch. It only takes Bristol to just string a couple of results together, and you could be looking at you know a bit of a sticky situation, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Has that teased you up nicely? It has. I mean, the the first line of my notes is basically what you've just said there. So, like you say. There was a lot of surprise when Mel Phillips was sacked. They they obviously had the winter break. They then, I think, played Chelsea. And, you know, they, they were soundly beaten, but it wasn't like a an awful shellacking kind of result. 
And then I think it was like she she gave her pre-match press conference, didn't she? And then I, I think were they playing Man United? And then like yeah. two hours later they sacked her. And you know someone on I can't remember who sorry on Counterpressed shout out Counterpressed sort of said like it felt like some one of the data analysts at Brighton had had spent all January looking at sort of men's. Uh, men's stuff the transfer window and then had just popped into a meeting he'd, he'd kind of missed for several weeks to just check how things were going and gone oh my god we're shit <laughs> so sack the manager uh, i mean yeah you, you you said that their form looks bad the the underlying numbers are are absolutely atrocious for brian like really bad I, i've written truly grim on my notes so they've <laughs> Yeah, they've got the worst defence by XG. They've got nearly the worst attack by XG. In terms of actual goals scored, they do have the worst attack. Yeah, it's it's just, it's a real mess. I mean, one, one kind of interesting similarity to Villa is that Brighton this season are effectively doing a sort of a mini Villa of what they did last season with Elizabeth Turland, who has scored, Brighton have only scored 13 goals all season and Turland has scored nine of them. And she's done it from just five XG. So effectively, you know, has almost scored double the number of goals she quote unquote should have. And again, that's not to say the goals don't count and all this kind of stuff, but it does mean effectively they're relying on one player being absolutely bang in form. And were it not for her, you know, they they would be in serious, serious trouble. The, the worrying thing for, for Brighton is that Villa had this situation where Rachel Daly just just kind of absolutely smashed it for one season, but that ended with them coming fifth and and everyone talking about them as as the kind of the real upstarts that could really threaten the the, the big four monopoly in the WSL. Brighton have had a similar situation, albeit with not as many goals, and it's barely kept them off the bottom of the table, which which is really really worrying because if Turland can't do it again next season, or if she gets injured, or if she was to leave, then you're really looking you know dodgy. They also so they Brighton have used the second fewest players in the league of of any squad. They're not really blooding in any kind of young exciting players they obviously they do have Katie Robinson who's a real talent but she's basically been an ever-present for them and they've also got the third highest average squad age of the players who've who've played I think of their of their six players with the most minutes four of them are over 30. So you've got like Lasada, yeah, uh, Bremer, yes, people like that. Who it's are... it's and it's so it, it it just doesn't feel great. There's not a huge amount of youth coming through. There's not like like for example again to I know we're leaning on Leicester quite heavily here, but there is there's like a core of Leicester players who are starting to see quite a few minutes quite regularly, who are all kind of youth prospects. I mean, Leicester had a 16-year-old come off the bench and score for them yesterday, which I know that was Denny Draper. It's her first real kind of minutes and, and time in the team. But that that's, you know, if, if you want to look long-term, would you rather be doing that or would you rather be relying on players who realistically are probably, you know, max two or three years away from uh, their, the end of their WSL careers? Probably. And I, I know I said we weren't going to talk about the big four, but that just reminds me me of Man United and relying on Rachel Williams to come off the bench yeah. and score last minute goals to keep them in matches like that's not sustainable I think actually I'm, I think United were the team that have used the fewest players in the league and I think they also have the second highest average squad age so there you go good mm. knowledge and uh, do you have any idea how Brighton managed to beat City I mean, that was... I mean, if you look at the XG, I don't have it in front of me. That Again, sorry, I know I keep banging on about XG. I know certain people don't like it and think it's a load of rubbish, but that Man City... It was just one of those games where you could play that game a hundred times and I think Brighton win it once. Mm. You know, they might draw it five times and then they just... Yeah, it, it, it's just one of those... Uh, you know, it'd be great to say, oh, it was, a, it was a tactical masterclass or anything like that. It was just a an off day for City and it's... It's quite telling that I think that was the last time City, that was the match that immediately preceded them going on this this mad run where, you know, Bunny Shaw scored about 18 hat-tricks in about four matches and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, 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 I think that was that was a complete anomaly, to be Just perfectly honest. Result, yeah. And 
but you know they all count that might end up being the result that, that keeps Brighton in the league which will be pretty incredible if it does um, but like I say they, they've got Bristol City next I believe that is a huge match um, and the only the only solace Brighton will be able to take if the, if they do lose that is that I think after that Bristol's their running is pretty awful I think they had Everton on the last day of the season but between that match and um, playing Brighton next I think they, they play some horrible combination of matches I think they might play all of the top four. So yeah. Then again, I did I did write down that Brighton have only beaten Everton and Bristol and City. But yeah. out of those bottom mid-table teams, they've only beaten Everton and Bristol. Yeah. And they've got to play us again, right? Yes, we played. We haven't played them at home. I don't believe. But yeah, I mean, just check. we know obviously the WSL is very stratified and, you know, if you want to win the title, your default position is you beat the bottom eight teams home and away. And then it, it's basically a mini league of how you do against the top four teams. And it's kind of similar down at the bottom, really, if, if you can ensure that you you beat two or three teams that are generally towards the bottom, you, you're normally going to be safe. It's And then it's whether you can you can beat that mid table batch and like say potentially score a couple of scalps against the really um, the really top teams. They have got to play. They have got to play us again. May God have mercy on their souls. At home, so we shall see. Yeah. To stay at the bottom of the table in that relegation battle, um, which I think the more I've reflected on that as we've talked, as we've spoken, I think that is more of a relegation battle than I thought it was. Like I say, I feel like Brighton have snuck up on me. In a, in, a, in a very in a very bad way like as in I, I in my head I was I don't know if I was getting mixed up with the men's team or something like where I thought they were all right yeah but they're, they're not are they? they're I mean that, is, that is a good point about the men's team though is, is because you know that the men's side are so famously data driven it does mm. just all feel a bit chaotic and the fact that Brighton are, you know they're relying on like say people like Vicky Lasada who are the best will in the world they are getting on a bit whereas the Brighton men's team it's generally all about youth and, and finding these these kind of untapped gems which they can then develop and then sell on for a huge profit and who then normally mysteriously end up being absolutely rubbish wherever they go and that kind of thing so I, I, I say all this with you know about the fact that they don't seem to be building towards anything and, and for me as it currently stands they, they'd be the team I'd be most worried about going into next season them and whoever comes up from the championship but with the caveat that Brighton are, are so well run as overall as a, as a club that I can I could see them doing some really interesting things you know in terms of coaching in terms of the players they they bring in it's, it's just whether you you can always try and do too much in a transfer window and potentially destabilize things even further so yeah, that's true. It'll be interesting to see what they do, how they do it. But clearly, they're they're not adverse to making a big call. No, no. Uh, that was a big call. Mid, Absolutely, mid season yeah. to just Saka. Yeah, um, give her one match after the month long winter break, which was against you know reigning champions Chelsea, and then Saka, which is doesn't feel particularly joined up thinking. But you know what what are you going to do? Interesting one to watch. Should we move on to uh, Brazil? Yeah. So obviously we, we we saw Bristol yesterday playing Leicester. I, I think Leic- um, yesterday's match was probably a quite nice encapsulation of uh, Bristol's whole season in that they showed plenty of endeavour, um, a lot of effort, but ultimately just fell short. And as as much as it would be interesting to see if they can beat Brighton next, I think we would like you say have a real relegation scrap on our hands. I'm I still probably don't think they're going to have enough. And what I would say about Bristol is that they've I have a lot of respect for the way they've they've approached the season in that you know we again sorry the men's game I know but we're, we're in a situation in the Premier League where um, Burnley came up last year playing a very expansive passing style that basically in a nutshell relied upon them having players who are better than most other championship teams had and that just allowed them to dominate the ball dominate possession they've come into the champion uh, sorry into the Premier League and quite naively have said we're not going to change the way we play and have been getting absolutely battered every single week and Vincent Company, the manager has been saying oh we're not going to change we're not going to change and then over the last couple of weeks there has been pretty tangible evidence that he has changed and suddenly they're trying to be a bit more pragmatic and lo and behold results have improved um, I mean obviously the the world's best keeper has been keeping a minute as well hasn't yeah, it yeah Bolton legend James Trafford despite his best efforts Burnley is still in the relegation zone but I think with Bristol, I, I have a lot of respect for the way they've come in into the season, knowing that you know they they had a had a great season last year, obviously to get promoted. 
their entire season last year, their all well, their success was built on the fact that they had a, an incredible defence. They also had Amy Palmer. And Amy Palmer, and but they've come up and have said basically, you know what, we we, we can't compete in terms of the the possession quality, the on the ball quality of these teams. We will rely on our defence, and we'll we'll play to our strengths effectively. So the the stat I've kind of pulled out for Bristol City is is their their PPDA numbers so that is passes per defensive action effectively it it measures how aggressively they press the ball when the other team has possession so the lower the number with that that relates to the the number of passes the opposition has before you effectively try and tackle them or intercept it or something like that Bristol's PPDA is 19.8 so on average when the other team has the ball it takes 20 passes for them to to make a tackle or something like that the next highest number is Everton who are 14.8 and the lowest is Arsenal with 8.7 so basically the difference between Everton in sort of second place and Arsenal is almost the same as the difference between Bristol and Everton it's a huge gulf they're basically playing like no other team plays in uh, the WSL and And yet yesterday they seem to really press us I think yesterday what they were trying to do it was quite interesting they I think they would they were effectively doing a sort of alternative press slash low block where if you let, they were thinking if we press all the time we'll be knackered Leicester have got the quality to play around us we'll 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 basically they'll just play through us and we won't have the numbers back to defend but they were also thinking if we just sit back in a low block for 90 minutes we're going to be in real trouble but they're, they're, they're just going to break through eventually we can't hold them back for for 90 minutes so I think what they were trying to do there was trying to get a bit inventive and to be fair I think that there were definitely periods in the game when it worked mm-hmm. they scored two goals they scored two goals but that brings me on to another of their stats where so they average under two passes per attacking sequence so Brighton are again the next lowest number they average 2.6 and the highest number is Chelsea who average 3.8 so again basically Bristol are so direct when they attack they're, they're almost more direct than the entire rest of the well they, they are more direct than the entire rest of the league but they are more direct than the next most direct team mm-hmm. by almost the entire rest of the league if that makes sense okay, so yeah, yeah. basically and we, we saw it yesterday there was the the Bristol City second goal was effectively even though Leicester were 2-1 up I think we looked at the numbers and thought you know what they're just going to be sitting in a low block for almost all this game so even though we were 2-1 up we came out we we basically swamped we had I think 10 players in in their half to start the the second half sorry no nine players and it all it took was one long clearance a foot race between the striker and I think Josie Green and you know that was the goal that was their that was their equaliser cop should have come for it but yeah but I unfortunately it looks like it's not going to be enough but I do respect that they're, they're basically that they're playing in a way that no other team is playing and you, you can say well they shouldn't have done that because it's not got results but I think with, with anything when it comes to football tactics you can almost have like a you know if you imagine a sort of a slider on an old school hi-fi like a volume slider or something like that almost any tactical decision you make and you know philosophical whether it's a, a are we going to are we going to press? Are we going to stand off? Any decision like that, I think you can almost always boil it down to what impact will this have on us as a defensive unit and what what impact will, will this have on our attacking ability, basically. So, you know, you can have 11 players in the box for 90 minutes. That will enhance your defence, but it will completely nullify your attack. Equally, you can go mega aggressive pressing and I'm sure you'll score plenty of goals, but equally you'll, you'll have no players back. You'll, you'll, you'll get picked off. So I, I, I feel like they've they've moved the slider to where it kind of suits them best. And unfortunately, it's it's more than anything, it's probably a quality thing that's, that's, that's sort of held them back, unfortunately. That's what I was, was going to say. It's a shame because like I, I agree with you. I feel like they're doing a lot of the right things and you see these moments and you like, they seem to defend well, like I say, but it's just obviously that probably obviously it did work for them in the championship because they won it and they came up but obviously in the WSL you've got to have that attacking quality yeah. And you can't just rely on the odd counter attack because mm. obviously I think they've got like the Morgan and Amelie Thestrup. They look pretty pretty yeah. spicy, and I think I th- certainly Thestrup was playing in the WSL last season, yeah. so I'm not sure about Morgan. But you know you can tell that they're they're quality. But like I think as soon as we had time on the ball and we were in their half, we just looked a different different gravy. Yeah, um, I think just in... and we could just we could just slice through their defense like butter, like yeah. with like two passes. I think unfortunately that the, the Bristol approach is it's. Okay back to talking about hi-fives for some reason it's it's quite um we're trying to appeal to 
a younger audience here. No, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Are we? Maybe not. So if you're listening to Public Enemy on your hi-fi, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think one of the issues Bristol had yesterday was that you know Leicester had developed a, a, a real variety of ways to attack now. And we, we've got players like Yuta Rantala who, who scored an absolute screamer from outside the box. You've got kind of really intricate passing players. And I, I think for Bristol's approach, it was basically just a bit overwhelming. And there were, there were points where they, were, they, they didn't know whether to stick or twist. And it's like, well, if we if we don't come out now, that player can and will score from 25 yards out because they've got that quality. And it's like, well, if we do press that player, they might be able to just, there was a, you know, a few nice touches from Mamiki yesterday, just little nutmegs and stuff. And yeah, I, I, I just, again, it's, it's for me, it's, it's more just a quality thing. I think looking at the numbers i was i was impressed with how kind of well drilled they are i just think unfortunately you can you can have the best tactical setup in the world but if you don't have quite the the player quality there it's you know you, you can't win a game on tactics alone you can you can effectively lose a game if you get the tactics horribly wrong but there is always going to be an aspect of have we got a player who can spray it spray a pass 50 yards and you know just do that regularly or, or find the corner from a, a low xg shot or anything like that and i just don't think bristol city have, have quite quite been able to crack that unfortunately they're like the anti united aren't they Yes. Like, United have got some quality players, but tactically... Yeah, tactically quite... Bollocks. Quite, I don't know. Uh, unstructured would be, would be what I'd say. I'd, I'd stick with bollocks. I am amazed by the way that you've... I've said all of this about Bristol City and you've not cottoned on to the fact that I'm, I'm bigging them up so much because I've basically just described Big Sam's Bolton team. Just get it long, get that ball launched, direct passing, none of this tippy-tappy rubbish. Moving swiftly on. <laughs> just to just to close that one off, I've, I sort of hope that Bristol stay up yeah, and that Brighton go down. Sorry, Brighton. Just because I feel like Bristol have, I don't know. I feel like they're a, they're a really good team of, like, you know, it, don't want to sound patronising, but, they, you know, there's so much effort there. They've got a system. They're, they're trying to really maximise what they can do. And I, I agree. I feel like... Brighton is a bit of a kind of a clown car just sort of lurching from one side of the road to the other. (laughs) Bristol, it's a relatively slow car, but it is being driven well. Great analogy. Thus ends that analogy. Shall we close off and and talk about Everton then? Yeah. Because I've still got my hot take, which is going to take about half an hour to talk about. I mean, Everton Everton won't take me too long. Um, To be honest, I... I think it took me longer to find some stats around Everton than it took me for the other three teams combined, basically. So what I've got here is is I think Everton are effectively the team that Bristol City would have liked to have been this season. They both play very similar ways. Everton have all have I think I've already mentioned they have the second highest PPDA. So they are the second least aggressive pressing team. They basically rely on having a very tall, powerful, strong team that can, you know, they might not be super agile, super aggressive on the press, but if you're flinging balls into the box, they're going to be able to defend those all day long. They're generating under one XG a match, which, and I think they've got the second lowest shots and shots on target overall. But defensively, they've just got enough about them that that's been enough to, to get them over the line. I mean, they are ninth. They're not exactly I mean, I think that they are effectively safe from relegation. It's been solid, I would I would say, for Everton. I think the, the big question is where do they go from here? Um, because there's been quite a lot talked about with a you know perceived lack of investment in the team, lack of interest from the, the parent club and the men's side. The men's, well, the, the entire club is currently embroiled in a pretty torturous takeover kind of protracted saga where you know there, there's been a bid but it's it sounds like it's never going to get ratified by the Premier League because they can't prove the funds and it's it's just a mess you don't really want to be in and and when that is the situation and obviously the, the men's side getting points deductions and stuff like that it's it's all just serving to detract from from what's going on the women's side I think unfortunately and yeah I, I think that the system they're playing as we kind of said with with Bristol just now it it works Everton work it well they they play to their strengths. You you can't take that away from them. I do feel like the you know rely on rely on our centre backs to get the ball clear, defend when you've got to defend. You know let the other team have the ball. That kind of approach. There is a reason why that is falling out of vogue across football in general, and I think in general it's 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 because it's got you know a relatively high floor in that it's it's once you can do it right, it will it won't see you too far wrong, and you you know you you won't concede that many goals and so on. But it's 
it's also got quite a, a low ceiling. There's there's only so much you can do with it. It's it's you know it's going to be hard to really push on from there. So you know that I think their underlying numbers are about on the money. But what would worry me is if they had a season where we you know we talked a lot about xG over performance in this episode. But if they were to have a season where they you know they suddenly started underperforming xG or they had a situation where for example their their whoever they had in goal started conceding more goals than they should be as as has been the case with with Villa and West Ham this season if if any of those numbers go awry it's quite a tight calculation and, and as we know the WSL it's a short season it can come down to basically can you beat the worst team in the league home and away if you can do that you stay up if not you are now the worst team in the league and and you're in real trouble so that would be my worry going forward is is there going to be the investment and can they can they sort of you've already alluded to the fact that I think Leicester and Villa and obviously we'll, we'll talk about Liverpool and Spurs next next episode as well that they seem to have a bit of momentum and they seem to have sort of ideas pushing them forward whereas Everton I'd say it's 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 fine. They're probably not going to get relegated. And as we discussed in the last episode about competitiveness, you know, they're, the fact that they are in the WSL and can attract, you know, internationals and, and stuff like that, that might be enough to just see them up consistently um, and, and kind of hold that monopoly in place. But equally, it's there's not a huge amount to be excited about is what I'd say for Everton. I would agree. Sorry if you're an Everton fan, but I didn't really have a lot to say about them. I think for me, it feels like potentially they're just suffering because of the what the, the debacle that's going on with the men's team. Tom Gary wrote a, a piece yesterday about you know a sort of game of two halves. With that's a poor analogy to use about football, but <laughs> um, you know Arsenal sold out Emirates on Saturday, and then yes, it's like 997 people yeah at the Everton game on Sunday, and it's just it's just like a it's a lack of investment. It's a lack of you know it feels like a bit of an afterthought from yeah. the club maybe and uh, yeah yeah and I think it's no coincidence that we're sat here going we haven't really got anything to say about Everton because I feel like they have been a bit forgotten by their you know parent club I guess mm. uh, just because can you really blame them well you can blame them because they broke the rules but there's a lot going on there's a lot going on there's and obviously the takeover and it's yeah it's just another thing for them to worry about and if we're being honest it's probably quite far down the priority list unfortunately they're, mm. they're obviously building a new ground for the men's team as well which is kind of costing a eye-watering amount of money and I think there's a lot of kind of wringing of hands in the background about can we actually afford this or have we effectively signed a signed our own death warrant here by we're already struggling with ffp yeah and now we're trying to finance this yeah. hundreds of millions of pounds on a new ground as you say i think i think they'll stay up yeah but you know it'll be interesting to see whether they get to start building on anything next season or whether it's going to take them a couple of seasons to yeah. all this, me- this stuff on the men's side to to shake off and let's hope they pick up anyway should we move on to my uh, hot take let's do the hot take the hottest of takes are you ready I, I mean, I've been hearing. Well, you've not told. I know roughly the theme, okay. and I, well, I know you I'm told gonna, me it's it's the length of a short book. I'm going to go into notes, so this. Is a piece it. in three movements, <laughs> entitled "Mary Ups is going to Arsenal." That's Please my proceed. hot take. Please proceed. So obviously, there's been a lot of talk. Obviously, Arsenal made a bid for her last summer, wasn't successful for whatever reason, and she's obviously stayed at Man United. Man United have been terrible, really. Yeah, considering considering well, how they should perform so and there's been a lot of speculation about because obviously she hasn't renewed a contract yet it's up in the summer will they let her go on a free as they did with alessia russo owner Bacha? there was still speculation about whether she'd go to arsenal in the january window psg piped up mm-hmm. as well as i say the reasons are threefold that i think she's going to arsenal so the first one is i think she's definitely going to leave united so there's been recent sort of chatter that she wasn't as close to the exit door yes that's a quote. yeah she'd Kind of as was previously stated and... she might stay yeah but i feel like even if that was true i feel like on saturday she was firmly pushed towards the exit door by many of her teammates mm. just because honestly like they let her down so the reason I, I chose to speak out about this this episode was because she was visibly upset at the end of the the match yeah and that was the final straw for you that was the final straw for me and it was just <laughs> 
it's got to have been frustrating because I think for her, like, and I don't know how much of this is a factor really, but I, I think she's got to have in the back of her mind that the other two English keepers had really good games. Yeah. You know, any person with a brain can see that none of those goals were her fault mm-hmm. on Saturday. But equally, you know, she's got to be thinking if she stays at Man United, she's going to have to keep working, working and working to try and stay in form when she's essentially surrounded by idiots. <laughs> <laughs> While... What I'm calling the alliteration twins, Kiara Keaton and Hannah Hampton. I like it. Look, well, you know, I'm not saying they they look like they're smashing it, but they're not. But they are, they do have better defence in front of them. It's a fact. They are smashing it, yet also are not being asked to smash it as regularly as Mary. I didn't okay. mean what I just said. Um, so it was just like, I said, I, I, she's my favourite player. She was my, I, I don't want to be that person like I liked her before she was cool, but she was my favourite player before the penalty for coughing. Yeah. I think I think she's a fantastic person and a fantastic competitor. And it was it was hard to see her look so upset. Mm. And I feel conflicted about it and I say this every week because I don't really like Man United as a club. I don't really care if they lose, but you know, I don't like to see Mary look upset, you know, look fed up. No. And I think I think it's time for her to go. If she wants to perform at the level that she wants to perform at and she can perform at, she's got to leave. I think for me, she just looked like in the second half on Saturday, she looked like the only composed player on the, for, mm. uh, you know, for Man United, the only composed player on the pitch and the only person with any desire to win. Mm. They all just looked completely defeated from yeah. the moment the first goal went in. Yeah. She made some incredible saves in the second half and she shepherded the shepherded the ball out after like a Lacasse, you know, one on one with Lacasse. It was it wasn't that good a save, but it went behind and she really like got herself like fired up and I was just like I, d- I didn't see that from anyone else no. on the team and it's just it must have been so difficult to knowing how competitive she is and how high a standard she holds herself to and everyone around her it must be so difficult to be in her position as a keeper and not be able to really have any proactive impact on the game yeah like yeah and like I say like those three goals were silly there's nothing she could do about them yeah one of them was an own goal the second one was well, the second a Katie Zellum assist Zellum cross onto Lacasse's head and obviously the, the third one was a penalty which you know Kim Little has taken how many penalties for Arsenal yeah. I would have backed her to even against Mary Earps to have scored that every time yeah and it was just a stupid penalty to give away so it you know it was just like I say I was I was frustrated on her behalf so I think the other the other side of that is okay yeah I think I think she'll want to leave United and I think she should. So the other side of that is why Arsenal? So I think there's been a bit of a conversation about do Arsenal actually need a kit another keeper? Is that really a problem? They've offered they've just offered Zinsberger a new contract. But Zinsberger has been dropped for the last two games. Yeah. Except for the one against London City Lionesses in the Conti Cup. You know, these were big games against City in the FA Cup and against Man United on Saturday. Yeah. And we can look back on it now and be like, well, would it have really mattered if Zinsberg had been in goal because Man United didn't have a shot on target until the 70th minute? But clearly, you know, Giannis Eideval didn't trust her in that big game. So he, he put the second keeper in, Sabrina D'Angelo, who's off to the Gold Cup now yeah. with Canada. So Manu, Manu Zinsberg will be back in. So it just seems like a bit of, as always with Arsenal, a bit of chaos. So I've looked at the stats and clean sheets are, are just a real problem for Arsenal. You know, they've only kept three and United, who have a much worse defence, arguably, have kept five. Yeah. I wonder why that is. They've got a 21.4% clean sheet rate, which is worse than Liverpool. And the same clean sheet percentage as Aston Villa and Everton. Yeah. Least amount of saves in the league. They do spend a lot of time, obviously, in the opponent's half scoring goals, but still. So if we look at the stats, Mary's outperforming Zinsberger on basically every key stat other than yeah. goals against, which we've which discussed. Is, yeah. With the, surrounded need, by idiots. You need the context, which in this case is, in your words, idiots. I am being a little bit harsh, <laughs> but it's not great. So the key, the key stat for me is the... The, the PSXG. Yes. So the post-shot expected goals and the plus-minus. Yes. So that, Matt, can you explain that? Because I know yeah. what it means, but I can't explain it. So obviously XG measures the quality of a chance. So, for example, a penalty is normally 0.79 XG because historically 79% of all penalties are scored. However, what post-shot XG measures is the quality of the chance against the quality of the shot. So if you have a penalty but someone smashes it over the bar that is a post-shot XG of zero because 
it, you know, it doesn't matter what the keeper does, it's not going in. However, equally, if you have a, a penalty that's smashed into the top corner, absolutely unsavable, that would have a post-shot XG of 1. And the idea with post-shot XG is it takes out the fact that different shots have different quality. So if you if someone scores an absolute worldie from 40 yards with a what the XG of that chance might be 0.01, but it might be unfair to say, oh, well, the goalkeeper should have saved that you know 99% because if the shot was incredible and went straight to the top corner of 100 miles an hour you'd say well you know the goalkeeper deserves you know that you shouldn't be taking away the credit so much from the goalkeeper there because it was you know it's an unbelievable shot so mm. what post shot xg plus and minus measures is basically once a shot has been taken what what is the goalkeeper's worth against all the shots they've taken that they uh, they face sorry um, so if you've got a positive number, that means effectively you should have conceded more goals than you have. If you've got a negative number, you should have you should you've conceded more goals than you should have effectively. Which leads me on to uh, Mary's uh, post shot xg is plus two point five. Second best in the league, I believe, after Kiara Keating. Correct, and Manuel Zinsberger's is minus two point two. So if you look at that from an Arsenal perspective, and you say you haven't got a goalkeeping issue, I say bullshit yeah because for arsenal that's the west ham game yep or the spurs game which has have essentially cost them the title race yep before though before they lost those games they were very much in the title race so if you just look at those two games in isolation and that sort of post xg yeah you could say had they have had mary in goal they might still be in the title race yeah would what would what could a five goal swing it for, in mm-hmm. Arsenal's favour? What could that effectively have done for their points? And it's you know it's not fair to say oh well if you take every game where they lost by a goal and you take those five goals out because you know you have to take each game as it came and like you say there'll be there'll be goals that Zinsberger could have done nothing about or D'Angelo could have done nothing about. But equally you've got two very good examples there of games where arguably. She she should have done better. A goalkeeper of Erps's quality probably would have done better. Um, and, and do I think Dinsberger's terrible? No, but I don't think she's I don't think she's the level that Mary's and the and the numbers speak speak for that. For Arsenal, if you're looking to bring in a keeper, you've got you've got one offered up on a silver platter for you. Especially if you can keep in in the in the Champions League mm-hmm. running for next year. I think you know because I don't. Another one of my things was I don't really think she'll want to leave England. Uh, no, I don't think that would be her first choice. I don't know, obviously, but I just feel like she's built so much of a sort of brand here. Yeah, and I know that sounds wanky and cynical, but I think that's she's quite savvy from that perspective. I think absolutely, and I think I I can just I could just sort of get the vibe that she would rather stay in England. I mean, she she's been she's been abroad before, so mm-hmm. it's not like she'll she'll be wondering, oh, you know, What's am I like? am yeah. I missing out? And like you say, it's obviously it's as you say, it can be a bit wanky to go on about sort of brand recognition and all this, all the marketing stuff that we we talk about as as part of our day jobs. But equally, from a a, a player like Mary Earps's perspective, you know, she she hasn't earned enough money to presumably you know retire comfortably on for the rest of her life just through playing football. She will know that when she does retire, her kind of her star will inevitably fade somewhat because she will no longer be this this hero of the lionesses and she kind of needs to maximize it while she can and generally if you're going to go to any club in the world right now arsenal have got to be up there because they've got so much clout they've got this huge fan base they're selling out the emirates and that's that's another factor as well you know i think arsenal are clearly very very savvy they invest in their women's team heavily they they i think from a marketing perspective signing Erps, I think she's probably probably the most marketable star in England right now obviously mm-hmm. there are there are younger players there's, there's players who are going to be around longer like Hemp and Kelly and, and players like that but I think for right now she is probably the most recognisable face from the Lionesses which would be a huge even even from you know from just a pure marketing brand recognition all this kind of stuff that perspective it makes for a really attractive option setting aside the fact that I think you've you've, you've made a fantastic case for, for why Arsenal should go for her why they they specifically need her and you know why why it would make sense for her as well I haven't even got to the the third movement (laughs) of this that was the introduction no that was the second movement um the third one is is she still good so I don't know how widespread this opinion is I know what you're going to say that, that she's not been very good this season yeah or whether it's just me getting triggered by the odd 
vocal Man United fan on Twitter and just the numbers don't back it. No. And so, in, but in order to test my own bias, I've done a bit of, you know, watching of highlights and stuff. And and for me, like, even in games where they've been dominant, as dominant as you can be when you're Man United, she's made a, a critical save mm-hmm. that I don't know how many other keepers would be able to make at a point in the match where could have got away from them or she's kept them in it or as we saw on Saturday, she's managed to keep them with a more respectable scoreline. Or she's, you know, stage switched on to keep a clean sheet when they're three, four, five nil up yeah. when she could realistically have switched off and yeah. whatever. She's kept a concentration and she's kept a clean sheet. So, you know, I just I just picked a I won't go through everyone, but just picked a couple of examples of like they got they got a draw against Arsenal. It could have been four for them, really. Yeah. So that it was it was two all. It could they could have scored four. You know, she had a brilliant one one V one with Russo. There was absolutely nothing she could do about the strike from Lacasse that goes in the top corner. No. But you see, and I think I said to you at the time, like the Herculean effort she goes through to try and reach that shot. Yeah, yeah. Which, again, Manuel Azinsberg would of, be yeah. in full tree mode watching that go into the top corner. A lot of keepers just stood there thinking, I'm not going to get that, whereas she's... She nearly gets yeah, it. Yeah, she's, she's straining every sinew to, yeah, to try and exactly. reach it. And then there was like another one, like so like in the, in the 2-1 against Liverpool... Liverpool beat them 2-1 and it was 1-1 and she'd literally just been clattered in the ribs by Sophie Roman Hogue mm. and she she makes this ridiculous save where she's one of those ones where you arch your body backwards and stretch it over the yep. over the crossbar and she you can literally see like she's holding her ribs again yeah. she's just been clattered in the ribs and then she's just done that to save that goal yeah like it, it, it's just those with with Mary. It's those moments where she keeps you in a game, or she stops the momentum swinging in one particular way, yeah. or stops you looking a complete tit by losing six nil. Which Man United could very well have done on Saturday had it not been for her. I think that is the difference. And yeah. I think you know when you when you're looking at the the title race and whatever. Currently, Man City and Chelsea are, are on the same points, but it's, it's all about goal difference. Yeah. So when you're getting into those fine margins at the top of the table, you have to start thinking about goal difference and Absolutely. about like you know if, if you're not going to keep a clean sheet trying not to concede as many goals as you can really so yeah just 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 to add to that as well going back to the post shot xg stuff i think we said keating is number one in the league then you've got erps and then second sorry third and fourth uh hampton and musevich who are both chelsea keepers so who haven't played all of the games yeah exactly so it, it so. just kind of goes to show you know what you know those the two teams at the top of the tree hmm. they both have absolutely outstanding goalkeepers and I think also another another point to make as well is one which I didn't necessarily think that much about until I heard it the other day was that she has literally played every single WSL yeah. game for Man United since she went there Yeah, which is pretty crazy really Yeah, I mean, and, and particularly when you think about all of the rotation that's yeah, happened exactly. with all of the keepers she has played every single WSL game for Man United yeah no, no keeper appears to be safe at all Generally speaking, in so, in, yeah. in the women's in the women's game, but, I yeah, could continue for Mary. another twenty minutes, but yeah. I will stop. But that is my my hot take. Isn't that Mary Epps is good? I think that's pretty obvious. But I, I know there's been a lot of speculation. There's been she's going to Arsenal. She's not going to Arsenal. Mm-hmm. I've heard several people say she's not going to go to Arsenal now. That's over. I believe for three reasons. One, she's going to want to leave Man United, especially after yeah, Saturday. What's, what's now keeping her there? Yeah. Yeah, they're not they're not going to be in the Champions League. They're looking worse and worse every week. Get yeah. out of there. Love. Even with the even with the takeover stuff, even if they turn around and say, oh, we're going to build something incredible. She's I mean she is thirty one next week. Is she? I'm look. I I don't know when her birthday is, but I've got the. Uh, I'm looking at. Surprisingly, I, I don't actually know when her birthday is. Maybe I, think, I, I think it is next week. But okay. she's 31 next week. Is she really gonna think? You know what? I'll I'll wait and see and let them get a new coach in and buy some players and stuff. Or is she just gonna think? You know what? If I want to win the league, if I want to win the Champions League. I've got to. I've got to go. I've yeah. got to make the move. Yeah. Two. I think Arsenal do have a very desperate goalkeeper situation, and mm-hmm. I believe people were saying that before they went into this season. Yeah. Which is why they tried to sign her in the summer, and then thirdly, she is the best keeper in the world, and I have the stats and the evidence to prove it. So that's me done, and I. Well, seeing as I've got on my soapbox for a good chunk of time there I think we'll sort of wrap up there and maybe we'll we'll talk about the Leicester player that we wanted to talk about next week um, and I will not have any more extended hot takes but yeah so shall I you didn't have a, a gasp did you particularly I mean I'll say I'll say Yuta Rantala's goal uh, against Bristol City absolute there's been a there's been an interesting trend uh, developing over the last couple of years of, of strikers I guess what you call reversing it so when they cut inside you expect them to shoot across the goal into the far corner 
and have, uh, you know, strikers have been quite noticeably, a lot of them sort of diverting the ball into the near post and kind of fooling the goalkeeper. Rantala did that uh, this week, but from about 30 yards out and into the top corner, when you're expecting it to sort of smash it towards the far post and she just reverses it into the near post, but in the top corner, um, nothing a keeper could do. Absolutely exquisite. It was beautiful. And I wasn't going to say that. I was going to give it a mention because I couldn't not, but I wasn't going to say that because I didn't want to be biased towards Leicester. I am biased. Um, my my unserious assist is Katie Zellum's assist for Chloe Lucas's goal. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, was... it was accurate. It was an accurate cross. <laughs> I mean, as a cross, it was incredible. Yeah. As a clearance, mm, less so. Less, less good. Um, no, so my serious, I think you have to you have to talk about Jess Park. Yes. For, and then to be fair, the finish from Bunny as well, obviously. Yes. Was was great, but yeah, Jess Park just exceptional press on Erin Cuthbert, yeah. and then just nice ball through to Bunny, and then great finish. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, shout out to Jordan Nobbs as well for a ridiculous. Yeah, strike which you did touch on earlier. Rolling back the years, but yeah, George no, that was Jordan Nobbs. That was incredible. Yeah, and then and we're still. Was actually, I was actually quite angry. She was like coming for, because like I think just before that, just before I saw that on Twitter, Mamiki had scored her ridiculous goal as well from a really ridiculous tight angle. Yeah, and like chipped it over the keeper, and then I saw that on Twitter, and I was like, oh, damn it. Maybe I should have said Mamiki. Well, so many. All the Leicester all goals, of the goals were fantastic. Yeah. I think we're just spoiled for spoiled for choice, aren't yeah, we? Really? Yeah, yeah. It's spoiled a hard life. Choice. It is. Right. We'll um we'll call it a day there. Yep, and we'll be back uh, next time to review the other four out of the other eight. And then we'll be. It's a really snappy name <laughs> for this feature. The other eight part two. Um, and we'll be back next week with the other eight part two and. I don't know, maybe there'll be a part two of my Mary Up saga. No, there won't. See what happens with the lionesses. I've got it all out. I mean, part of me kind of wants Alatoon to get out of there as well, so... Just sort of airlift all the I'm just going to start, yeah, I'm just going to start rescuing them, like, one by one. I mean, if Alatoon wants to sit on the Leicester bench, she's very welcome. I was going to say, we don't need her, mate. What's she going to do? Score ridiculous ridiculous goals from outside the box? We've we've got... We've got that covered, mate. We've got that covered, mate. We don't need Mary either. Oh, before yesterday, I would have agreed with you. Cop had a bit of a mare yesterday, but... Yeah, it's just teeing up the return of Leipzig. Just teeing up the return of Big Yanni. Right. But, yeah. Right, well, yeah. Perfect. Thank Great. you for joining us. Um, as is no tradition, don't forget to uh, give us a follow on Spotify. Um, rate us if you can. Yeah. And yeah, that would be much appreciated. All right then. We'll, uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you very much. All right, thanks. Thanks.